as humorous as this video is, uh, it's very telling also. Um, especially in the United States, um, we tend to look at church as something that's designed to serve us. And um, as a pastor, somebody who's been doing this for quite a few years, uh, it's amazing how many of those things really ring true, which is actually sort of sad. If you don't know me, my name is Casey Sabella, and I'm here um, standing in for the pastor who is vacationing in Bermuda right now. Um, and thank you. He wants to thank you for that generous gift. Um, but um, I'm from Waterbury, and I've got the ankle bracelets to prove it, but, um, but I'm here to minister here this morning. But I do want to share with you, in all seriousness, the, the, uh, the video that we just watched. Uh, it really just talks about how Christians really have a, a, an errant view of what church and, frankly, what worship is all about. So I'd like to start today by uh, sharing with you a verse from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The two words uh, that are used for worship, that, uh, and, and the little notes there, that's my notes there, just not in the Bible, actually. But um, the two Greek words that are used for worship in the Bible are the first word is proskaneo, and the, the next one, and these are probably not the best pronunciations, but latria, proskaneo and latria. And uh, the word proskaneo means to kiss towards. When we speak of worship, we're using the word that is designed to express to kiss towards. Um, some of you might have heard the kind of popular song that uh, has been talked about quite a bit, but it talks about uh, heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss. Anybody heard that before? That's a little over the top. Um, and, you know, I understand the concept of it. It's designed to, to express that God wants to have intimacy with us and, and with him. I'm not sure that heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss. But um, the concept of a kiss is really uh, what they're trying to express and, frankly, what does come into play in worship. But the kind of kiss that's talked about here, proskaneo, is really not uh, a, a kiss on the mouth, per se. But in, especially in, in Oriental cultures, it was one that when you greeted somebody, you might grab their hand, bow, and kiss their hand. Um, we don't really see it much in our culture, but uh, probably the closest thing would be uh, somebody going to the Vatican and kissing the Pope's ring. That really sort of expresses the concept of proskaneo more than anything else. It's an inferior giving acknowledgement to a superior. And so in Oriental culture, when you greeted somebody that you considered superior to you, or a king, or somebody of great value, you would kiss them by maybe bowing and kissing their hand. This is the word that is proskaneo. The word that's used here is the word latria, and it gives more of a sense, not just simply of expressing uh, kindness or love towards somebody or, or respect, but it also goes further, and it's this word service. And actually, in the King James, it's, it says the word service instead of worship here. Because it's the idea that you're going to do something in response to God. When we talk about this particular verse, and the reason that I wanted to share it with you this morning, is that most Christians really have a, like I said, a diluted sense of what it means to worship God. 
Uh, the worship today, while we, we sang in worship, was extraordinary. But sometimes in our mind we can fix it that that's worship. And it certainly is a very important part of it because Scripture says that God actually dwells inside of, he is enthroned, the word tells us in, in Psalms, he's enthroned in the praises of his people. Something very powerful happens when the people of God open their hearts and express their love through singing and worship in that, in that fashion. I don't want to minimize that in any way. However, I think that in, in American culture particularly, we have this idea that when that stopped, worship stopped, now it's time for teaching. When teaching stops, now it's time for uh, go in peace. And when that stops, we're done with God. We have other things to do. We really have sort of God compartmentalized in our mind, but that isn't what the New Testament recognizes as worship. What this particular verse of Scripture, which is very powerful, is telling us is that I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. And that's an important facet here is until your physical body is actually engaged, worship is merely your intent. Think about that for a moment. Until your physical body is engaged, worship is merely your intent. Worship happens when your physical body gets involved, according to this scripture. If you're not doing something, then the Bible doesn't describe you as actually worshiping. Are you following me? Um, when we first started our church in Waterbury a number of years ago, there was a gentleman, I'll call him Jerry, and uh, Jerry used to come to our services. We held him in uh, Crosby High School. And if you know anything about Crosby High School in Waterbury, the, the auditorium goes down. So we had to bring our equipment in. Does anybody relate to this, by the way? Uh, we had to bring our equipment in, and then we had to bring it down, and we had to set it up, and then go back up and get the more equipment. And it took about an hour for us to set up every Sunday, and then another hour to break down. And Jerry, bless his heart, used to show up early every week. And Jerry had a particular focus. He, he loved this word serving. And so he would talk to us, and anytime, frankly, you talk to Jerry, he always talked about how we need to serve one another. What a blessing. Except that he never did. He talked to us about serving while we were hauling equipment. Now, I was in my mid-40s, and the other guy who was with me was in his 40s, and not in the perfect shape, but I'm telling you something, those speakers, they weren't like the little ones, they were like the heavy ones. And I mean, we're hauling stuff in, we're sweating, and he's talking to us about serving. He talked about serving 24-7. In those early days, he really wanted an opportunity. He, he wanted to teach in the worst way. And so there was a small opportunity that I wanted to give him because he was new, and I just wanted to see what, he was, you know, what was going on, so I gave him a small opportunity to share. And then he proved to me that he could teach in the worst way. See, serving is not an intent if your body doesn't do something, you're not serving. Are you following me? 
It was the prophet Batman who said, it's not what you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. It's not what you are underneath. It doesn't matter what people see outside. It's what you do that defines you. And frankly, that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Give, speaking of believers, give your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. It doesn't become holy and acceptable to God until you do what? Until mm, you give your bodies. And so you put your body into whatever it is you love and whatever you want to invest in. Whatever is important to you, you attach your body to. And frankly, what's not important to you, you typically don't. When Patty and I were a young couple, uh, she was pregnant with the first, and so, of course, all pregnant couples go to La Leche League's, uh, you know, thing to figure out how to have a birth naturally because those horrible doctors are going to ruin the whole experience. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you. I, we, we actually got quite a bit out of it. But it was kind of funny because I became such a paranoid father. I didn't want anybody to touch my, my, my uh, wife. And when, when the actual time of birth came, I, I kept intervening. And my wife, we finally had the baby, but uh, my wife almost died because I kept sticking my nose where it didn't belong. And I kind of learned that, you know, their doctors are there for a reason. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, that was my journey, and I'm sorry. To, I have to confess it now because you saw that part of the video where I confess it. Anyway, just keep following. It'll, it'll eventually turn out. Um, but while I was in this La Leche League uh, experience, there was, an, there was a couple there. They weren't Christian. But uh, we were talking about back and forth, and he was, telling me, he was telling us that he was an accountant. And he said something interesting that stayed with me and has stayed with me for many years. He said, you know something about my business? Is he said, I can take your bank statement and figure you out completely. I can tell you what you look like. I can tell you your age. I can tell you what you love or what you don't love. I can tell you everything about you and never even meet you. And they've actually, he said, we've actually done this where they, where they do experiments and they put, you know, have no knowledge of anybody and then they have like the split screen where they show the person and then they show the, the accountant just going through their bank statements. And their looks, everything about them, their everything expressed in the bank statement. If God can do that, I'm sure he can, what would he describe about you? Would he begin, in fact, God or anybody else, would they begin to discover what you love and what you value? Well, the accountant said, yeah. And this is not a guy who's a Christian. He said, we can figure you out. And that made me step back for a moment. And I said, wow. You know, God assesses us all the time. But this is just telling on a human level, you can assess somebody just by what they do with their cash. Wow, I didn't really want to come to church today, and now I really don't want to come to church. As Batman said, it's not what you are underneath. I love Jesus. It's what you do that defines you. If you're a follower of Jesus, does it reflect it in your pocketbook? 
Does he own your pocketbook? If you've known the Lord for, for a year, are you a tither? Well, pastor, that's, that's not in the New Testament. I don't believe in that. I appreciate that. So you give 12% or 15% or 20%? No, 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 I don't give that. Well, if you don't believe in tithing, you give more, right? No, I don't. Why? Well, it's not in the New Testament. Hmm. Hmm. Are we under a better covenant? What makes it better? It's got everything of the original and more. That makes it better. The original said, give your first fruits to God. In fact, if you actually go through the Old Testament, they didn't give 10%, they gave 23. If you count up all the stuff they did with fruits and vegetables and all the stuff they did, if you put it all together, somebody took the time to do this, it comes out to 23%. So, wow. And God never blessed the Jews financially, did he? 2% of our population that controls almost 50% of the wealth. Hmm. And most of them that control the wealth don't even believe, but that's how serious God is about his covenant. This isn't a money-making scheme, by the way. Isn't it amazing how God honors those that honor him? You've got a phenomenal church here that's got a great vision are you invested? Because it's not what you are underneath. It's not praise Jesus. It's what you do that defines you. Are you standing behind your pastor? Are you standing behind the vision of this church? Does it reflect it in your finances? Because if it isn't, you're really just fooling first the mirror. And you're just fooling yourself because a true disciple is someone whose finances, where your heart, your heart's in your back pocket, by the way, it's not here, it's right here. Jesus said that your heart is, that's where your treasure is, so that's where your heart is, it's in your butt, if you're a man. And your wife already knew that, but anyway. Um, your, your real heart is where your treasure is, and if your treasure is in the things of this world, and if it's all about holding on to the things of this world, and it's about me, 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 it's about my vacation and my house and my this and that the church, well, you know, I gave $10. I'll never forget this guy in our church. My goodness gracious. He's still kicking. God bless him. What they say down south? Bless his heart. <laughs> you know, we had just started in Waterbury and we were a rented facility and he came up to me and says, Pastor, we need a new building. We need a building. We need a building. What does he give? I asked the person doing the books. Oh, this year he gave $150. We're going to build a building with that, aren't we? And every time I saw a pastor, I give to this church, you need to get a new building. I said, so you want a building for $150? I didn't see him very much after that. (laughs) And the weird thing is, is that he always used to tell me, he says, you know, pastor, I'd love to give more. I just can't. Where's Joe this week? He's down in Florida with his family for two weeks at Disney World. Oh, thank God they gave it to him for free. Huh? Pastor, we just don't have the money. Next week, where's Vinny? 
Sorry, I give him the word now. Well, now you won't know who he is anyway, just by the first name. Where's Vinny? He's out in Colorado. Skiing. That's after he told me that he just had problems getting up the stairs. Christians are funny people. It's not what you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. This isn't a sermon, obviously, or ironically enough, is not about money, per se. It's about what you do with your body. How do you actively serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Can people tell by what you do that you are a servant of God? What you do with your body is your holy and acceptable worship. If you're a great praiser, and be one, by the way, if you're a great praiser but your life doesn't match, was in a congregation a number of years ago, and, and uh, they had a very exciting worship service, and people were worshiping and, you know, in, in, a, in a vocal way. They're all lifting their hands. And the one person that stood out, it was, I guess it would just have to define it, definitely is Pentecostal, but, uh, but it, almost every 30 seconds, this particular woman would cry out, Jesus! Jesus! It was almost convulsive. Praise God! Unfortunately, I knew this woman. And what happened outside the worship team, totally different. Uh, Embezzler, liar, thief, cheat. It's not what you are underneath. It's not how you express worship. People can express worship as... Does it match the life? And I'm sharing this with you and challenging you with this because, quite frankly, all of us, within 100 years, no doubt, will stand before God. And you can't shine them on. Right? Say, God, well, I meant to. That was my intent. Well done, thou good intended servant. It's not what you intend. It's what you do. Barna did some research on pastors recently. Some interesting stats. 1,800 pastors leave the ministry every month in America. Think about that. They only work two hours a week. (laughs) And they still leave the ministry. I mean, that's like ridiculous. With a job like that, I mean, my goodness, why would you? 15% of pastors contemplate leaving the ministry every Monday morning. This is true, by the way. This isn't just made-up stuff here. 65% would leave the ministry for their position for a similar paying position. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 80% believe that pastoral ministry has affected their family negatively. How could that be? How could that be? Look at what that pastor's driving on, what we pay him. Look at what those kids are wearing. Did you see what that pastor's kid said or did? 80% believe their pastoral ministry has affected their family negatively. 70% say they have lower self-esteem than when they started their ministry. That's a little low. These aren't your stats, by the way, but these are these national stats here in America. 
And why does that happen? I, I have to sum it up in a lot of ways that people are saying they want to follow Jesus, but they don't actually serve by putting their body into what's needed. You're known by what you do, not by what you say. You're known by what you do, not what you say. I'm one of those queer people that if you say to me, let's do lunch, I'm expecting lunch. Don't say it if you don't mean it. We need to get together sometime. Here's my calendar. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Pastor, I'm right behind you. You need binoculars to see them. They're so far behind you, you can't find them. My favorite, my favorite all-time statement is, Pastor, I love this church. This is my church from now on. Last time you'll ever see him. Last time. I've had, I, over the course of 40 years, I think at least 50 people say, Pastor, that was the most powerful sermon I've ever heard. This church is my church. Amen. I love you. I love this church. This is my church from now on. I just kind of say, see you. I'll see you in heaven. Because <laughs> I, I won't be seeing you here. Now, I know probably when they say it, they probably intend to do it. But see, until you put your body with your intent, it's just not real. What do you think? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the next verse says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. We don't change unless we want to. If you change because you're afraid of something, that change will last a week. We change because we choose to and we want to. There's a motivation behind it. Preaching does change people's lives, providing that the Holy Spirit or the Lord in, one, in some fashion, gets a hold of that person and convinces them. But I am not under the delusion of thinking that my preaching a sermon about money or about uh, serving is going to change anyone's behavior in this room unless you make a choice. And the only way that that happens is that you hear what I've been saying to you and you see that it is God speaking to you. <clears throat> and so you're not responding to me because I'll be gone. But you're saying, God, I'm hearing you speak through that man up there. And I know that that is something for me, and I need to change. I need to change the way I think, because up till this point, I've been thinking about myself, about my needs, about me, and about everything that's related to my kingdom. And I'm starting to recognize, if I haven't recognized it already, that my life is very short. And what I'm doing today has impact in eternity. There's the old story about somebody who goes to heaven and you know, sees, he walks down and this one's got a great mansion, this one's, you know, there's no real mansions in heaven, let's get that all straightened out, but just go with me on this. But they're going, they're going down the street and there's a mansion, there's a mansion, there's a mansion, there's a mansion. People are, this guy's really excited, he can't wait to see his place, and when they get to his place, it's a shack. What's the deal, God? Everybody's got a mansion. You said you were going to give a mansion. He says, well, this is all you sent money up for. 
My mansion's in the sky. Well, some people have their mansions on earth. Their values are here. Their serving is here. It's all oh, they're serving themselves. Can people tell that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Does your body reflect what Jesus has done for you? I believe in Oasis. I believe in your pastor um, and his family. They've given their lives. Think about this. They've given their lives to you. Consider that. They've given their lives. In other words, they've said, we're not going to do anything else. We're going to serve these people. That's amazing. I just showed you the stats on pastors. I shared with you a couple of weeks when I was here, for those of you who were here. I mean, I, I know a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. I, I know how the whole deal works, the whole business works. It's really, really hard to find pastors who just genuinely serve the Lord and love their people and just do it because they love God. Many do it out of a job. I can take you to literally thousands of pastors, and they're going, they're saying, if I ain't paid $110,000, I'm out of here, baby. I got other things to do. That's not serving the Lord, because you should get 120. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> getting distracted here <laughs> but you have a pastor and a family who have given themselves just just think about that they've given themselves to you I mean, that's amazing it really is amazing and in exchange what do they get well they're not in it to get but what do they get Oh, we want to keep our pastor humble. Because that's your job. I mean, you're sent by God to keep your pastor humble, right? You first. You first. When I was first in pastoral ministry, it was so cute in many ways, but people would come to us just getting started. And I mean, we had, you know, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. People would come up to us and they'd say, Pastor, we were just so burdened for you, we wanted to give you these clothes. You'd open the bag. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Holes and rips and <laughs> buttons torn off and zippers missing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you <know? laughs> thank you for your gift. In other words, you were faster to give to than the Goodwill box. And even Goodwill would probably throw it out. But it, it, just, it just taught me in an early way. It's kind of like, wow, people's perception of what they consider what is giving to the ministry is so warped. And you look at, again, the Jewish people, the whole focus was first fruits, first fruits, give your best, give your best, give your best, give your best, give your best. We seldom think in relationship to what can I offer to God that is top, on the top of the pile, first thing. How can I give God my best? I want to settle the whole issue of tithing for you because I know that that's a struggle for some Christians. In the Old Testament, God commands you to tithe 10%. In the New Testament, you tithe 100%. Does that settle it for you? Wait, 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 what? Peter said, you are bought with a price, the blood of Christ. So you are therefore a Slave. You're a slave. 
If you follow Christ, if you're bought with a, you're a slave. Which means, who owns your assets? How many slaves have bank accounts? How many slaves have investments? The Bible defines our role in the New Testament as a steward. You've heard that word before. You are a steward over someone else's goods. In the Old Testament, it's kind of like you pay God off. You get him off your back with 10%. Here's the dues. Now leave me alone. Bless me. Stay away from my other 90. <laughs> In the New Testament is, God, I'm a steward. And everything I own is yours. And you have access to everything. Show me how you want it distributed on your behalf. And so he doesn't show up and say, if, you don't get my, if, you don't, if I don't get my 10%, I'm going after you with a gun. He says, be my servant. Be at my beck and call. And if you haven't experienced it yet, I assure you, you will. You'll be in environments where God says, reach into your pocket and give, give everything you got to so-and-so. But Lord, I only have 10%. Yeah, but I'm not giving 100%. Don't argue with the Holy Spirit. Because he says, give, and what will happen? Some of you know the Bible. Give, and what happens? It'll be given to you. Full measure, pressed down, shaken together. I will give into you if you invest in my kingdom. I know this is, this is you know, I can see by your faces, this is an exciting sermon for you, but let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's look at what is, what, who is the God we serve? Is he really the God of your life? Or is it that bank account? Is it that security? Is it that all those things you've got? It's my vacation home. It's just that and the other thing. Does it own you or do you own it? And is it at the disposal of the king? Are you a steward? Are you a servant of God? Or are you a master? So I hope I've settled the whole issue of tithing. It's 100%. By biblical standards, it's 100%. And he allows you to know, he occasionally allows you to know how much you can keep of his goods. It changes our whole paradigm, doesn't it? We're not Jews. We're not 10%ers. We're 100%ers. And when it comes to serving the Lord, it's Lord whatever. It's not, you know, pastor, I've done the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. Not good enough. Do what it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm doing the best I can. Not good enough. I will do whatever it takes. Because Jesus did whatever it took. See, we've set up some of these cultural walls and we've kind of got it all squared away where we live inside these worlds. But they're not really the gospel. Thank God he's a generous God. Thank God that he said, if you give, I'll give more to you than you can imagine. I'll show you who's a giver. You start giving, and I'll give you so much you won't even imagine it. And I could spend lots of time here talking about people who've done that. You all know J.C. Penney. You know the story about him. By the time he died, I think he was giving away 90%. But he wanted to prove God by tithing. And it went from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40. He just kept giving away. Some of these greatest, huge millionaires, I could go again, these, so many stories I could tell. People who just tested God. They wanted to test this out. 
They want to outgive God. Good luck with that. God will outgive anybody. He'll take, he'll take the challenge. But I want to tie this all back together to what the scripture is saying here. Is it's saying if you're going to serve the Lord, then you're going to need to give your body to it. And those who give their body to it, and don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Forget about how the world does all this accumulating. Forget about the, the world is focused on itself. Change your way of thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's ways are not our ways. I made that clear in Isaiah. It's not our ways. His way of building the kingdom, not our way. You've got a phenomenal church here. Are you standing behind it? Are you so far behind it no one can see you? Are you serving with your body? Are you putting your body in place to things that need to happen? Are you saying to the pastor, Pastor, I'll be with you, and by the way, if I'm not, you can hold me accountable? Are you serious about that call? Because serving Jesus is not just Sunday morning, folks. I love Sunday mornings, and I'm thankful, thankful that you're here, but if this is the sum total of your Christian faith, Wow, are you missing it? Christianity starts on Monday, not Sunday. That's where your body reflects what you believe. It happens in the workplace, it happens in the home, it happens in your neighborhood, it happens in other environments. That's where Christianity really takes place. Let's all stand. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I, I'm not mad at anybody, by the way, uh, but this is a serious subject, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, because as Americans, we can let the culture change us and change our way of thinking so that, we, in fact, we come into this from, a, from an American culture, most of us, and we're already thinking this way. And Romans makes it really clear that we're going to need to change the way we think. We're going to need to intentionally say, wait a minute, that's how the society thinks. What does Scripture say? How does Scripture align my life? What am I supposed to do? What are my, my motivations? How do I really become Christ-like? Well, we become Christ-like, and the, one, the area he's going to touch, and if you haven't been touched here, it's happening this morning, it'll happen over and over, God will address the issue of money with you. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. Why? Because he knew that that's what held people bound. He always was talking about money. I mean, when you went to Jesus' church, oh, I was talking about money again. I mean, that was the first church where they talked about money all the time. Jesus. But Jesus wasn't interested in their cash, was he? He was interested in their heart. He wanted them free. And until this, until this issue is on the altar of God saying, Lord, do with, it, do with my money how you want, how can you truly be a disciple of Jesus? Because every time money calls, you'll come running. I can't do that. Money said I can't do it. I can't serve the church. I can't serve the Lord. Money told me I can't do it. Do you know how many thousands of people have come up to me through the years in ministry and said, you know, as soon as I get this fixed financially, I'm going to serve God. I'm still waiting for that one person who actually did. I have a, a dear brother in the Lord. He has a business. I spoke to him two years ago, and I sat down with him. I said, brother, he, he's, he works on Sunday all the time. And he's got tons of people who work for him. But I said, brother, you've got to put Jesus first. It's not simply Sunday morning. You've got to put Jesus first. And he says, you know, pastor, he says, it's going to take me about six months. I'm going to get all these things financially squared away. And then I'll be back. 
few years ago. Business grown. Got more people than ever. Still there. And I said to him two years ago, and I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up is not <laughs> anger or shame to him, but to say to him the exact same thing I'll say to you. I said to him, you know what's going to happen, my friend? This is two years ago. I said, when six months rolls around, I said, Satan is going to see to it that something else happens to keep you here. And after six months, his top person quit. And then it was another three months. And then another person quit. They kept adding more people. And it's, it's been just, this has been the issue in that business forever. Every time he gets to a point where he thinks he can get free, it brings him back in. Because I said, Satan knows what he's doing. And you're basically offering yourself up and saying, Satan, whatever you want me to do, <laughs> you're welcome to do it. I said, until you take a stand and say, this is the way it's going to be. And I said to him, I said, you know, read about Chick-fil-A, folks. Most successful, one of the most successful restaurant chains in the United States, and they just made a decision. We're just not going to do this. Everybody said, you'll go out of business. They that honor me, I will honor. The things I'm sharing with you, even about finances, some of these things for tithing even maybe, you're saying, I can't do that. Trust God. Trust God. Is this church worth investing in? You bet it is. Is your pastor worth investing in? You bet. This is a great vision. This is a great church. It, it deserves your support. I encourage you to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, and this word is a, a challenging one. It comes to us to in a place where it challenges us to what we actually are going to do with our bodies. How we're going to act is really our true worship. Father, as I've been sharing today, your Holy Spirit has been touching hearts, convicting hearts. I ask you to bring forth fruit from what's been shared today. I ask you, Lord God, that decisions will be made today that would not only be today, but for the rest of their lives. Lord, we belong to you. Not 10%, not even half. We are slaves. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, God, we're called to glorify you with our bodies. I thank you, Lord. I sense your presence here this morning. I thank you for these individuals in this great church. I pray for Oasis right now. I pray, Lord God, that this church would expand and expand and expand because new people are coming into a saving knowledge of Jesus and because new people are becoming disciples and because new people are developing into leaders. I pray for the pastor here, Lord God. I pray for Dennis, Sandy, Lord God, and their family. We ask your blessing around them, Lord Jesus, your protection around them. We bless them and honor them today, God. We ask you to cause them to be fruitful in everything that they put their hand to because you are a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. 